Well, praise God. Well, this morning I've entitled the message, Who I Am, or Who Am I? I was reading it backwards, sorry. Who Am I? <laughs> and uh, uh, we really want to focus, what I want to focus on today is who we are in Christ, discovering our identity in Christ. So let's go ahead and pray as we come to it. Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to spend time in your word, and I pray, Lord, that, that today we would be encouraged, that we would be emboldened, we'd be lifted up, Father, the Lord, that we would leave here different than we came in. And we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. <clears throat> so yeah, today I want to talk about uh, discovering who we are in Christ. And it's something I haven't ministered on this in about five years, and uh, I figured it's been way too long. I should probably be uh, focusing on it more, and I, I do throughout my messages. But today I want to focus on it uh, just strictly on, on who you are. Because how many know this is a question we get asked all the time? You know, and, and the problem is, is that, that, and you may not get, you know, when, when you meet somebody, um, we introduce one another, we may not say, well, who are you, per se? But it always comes up for that, right? And, and, and what do we say when you begin to try to describe yourself to somebody else, or they ask about who you are, right? What's one of the things we always ask? Well, what do you do? That's one of the most common questions we ask each other, is what do you do? You know, where do you work? As if that's who we are. You know, and, and there's all these, ask, these, these ways we can answer, right? I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. You know, for me, I'm an IT guy or I'm a pastor. There's all these things we can say to describe who we are. But the truth is, is I think to be a successful and effective Christian, the, the, the number one thing you need to know is who you are in Christ, who you actually are. The part, of the, the part that actually matters, that has an eternal consequence, and I think that we need to have confidence and boldness in who we are. Because here's, here's why. Who you are determines what you do. Who you are determines what you do. If you understand that you are saved, that you're righteous, that you're pure, that you're holy, then you're going to live your life in such a way to reflect who you are. But if you don't understand who you are, your, might, your life might look a little different. And then the other thing that I think is super important is one of the most common and effective attacks of the enemy is to question who you are. So let's get started. Matthew um, 4 verses 1 through 11 says, When Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you are, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are, once again, questioning his identity, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. And he will command on his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then finally, <clears throat> sorry, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. 
And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. You'll notice that in two of the three temptations that are recorded here, two of them were questioning who Jesus was. And I want you to know that if the devil tempted Jesus that way, he's going to tempt you the same way as well. He's going to question who you are. And on top of that, not only is the devil going to do that, but people you know are going to do that. Has anybody ever had somebody close to them, especially shortly after you were born again, and you were afraid to look like a Christian in front of them? And you ever thought about that? Why? Because I know for me personally, I would get nervous to let people, especially people that were really close to me in the past, see me living as a Christian because I thought that they were going to go, I know you. This isn't who you are. I knew who you were in the past. I used to hang out with you. This isn't who I thought they were going to question who I was. When I first got filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues, you want to know the person that I was most afraid to do that in front of? It was my wife. Because she knows me better than anybody else. And I was like, man. And, and the funny thing is, intellectually, I knew that she would never be this way. But there was that part of me on what if she thinks it's a fake? What if she's like, I know you. I know the people that, that, that other people, I, I know you that other people don't see. You see, not only are we going to be questioned by the devil who we are, but we'll also be questioned by our own hearts. You're going to challenge yourself. You're going to have times when you, when, you, when you fail and you begin to reach, you remember Scripture, say, you know what, God's forgiven me, and, and, and you'll begin to talk to yourself. Why would he forgive me? I mean, I'm such a terrible person. Why would God love me? Anybody ever done that? Am I the only one that's ever done, got into that, that mental loop in your head? See, we even question ourselves. You see, ultimately, every attack of the enemy is a question of your identity. He's going to say, you're not good enough. You're not loved. You're not actually forgiven. You're not really a Christian. You couldn't because what about this thing that you did or that thing that you did? And then the only other thing that the enemy will do, these are the, I would say these are probably the two primary attacks. Questioning your identity, or he'll do like he did to Jesus and say, listen, all these I will give to you if I will fall down and worship you. You want to know the problem with that temptation? That was already all Jesus's anyway. The devil's like, you know what, if you'll just do this, you're going to finally, if you'll just go and be with all those women, you're going to feel loved except for you're already loved by Christ. He's going to offer you something that you already have. He's trying to offer you satisfaction and peace and hope and all of these other things that are already yours in Christ if you're in Him. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> and here's the thing. As I said earlier, who you are determines what you do. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Anybody ever looked at that list and went, Oh man, I've done a couple of those. You got a little nervous? 
right? And even sometimes when you're reading the Bible, you begin to, your, your, your heart begins to attack you. The enemy begins whispering in your ear, and you're like, see, I told you. But this is what Paul says. He says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You know, that's one of the things that you'll notice that when Jesus was tempted by the enemy and it said, if you are, how did he respond? What the, what the word of God said. So when the devil begins to, to, to question you and, and, and begins to attack you and he says, you know what, you're one of those things. And you can say, yeah, but the word says such was some of you, but I've been washed. I've been sanctified. It doesn't matter what the devil says. It doesn't matter what your friends say, your family says, your coworkers. It matters what the word of God says about you. And that's really what I want to talk about today is what does the Word of God say about you? When I say trying to figure out who you are, I'm not talking about, you know, who do you feel like you are or, or what would seem like, like, who do you want to be? We're going to look at what the Word of God says you are. And how many know that if the Word of God says you are, then you are? Amen? That story in 1 Corinthians, the, the, the words we just read in 1 Corinthians, if you, if, you, if you know about that, the Corinthian church was a mess. And Paul's writing to these people. And, and you look at this and you think, oh, he's just talking about some other people. But when he's, when he's describing all of these things, he's talking to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church is doing these things after they've been saved. And he's saying, listen, this is who you used to be. Quit acting like who you used to be. This is such were some of you, but now you've been washed, you've been clean, and now start doing what you are, amen. Stop doing what you were. Start doing what you are. In Acts 19, 13 through 16, it says, But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil is done. Okay, I'm in the right place. I almost got confused for a second. I'm like, this doesn't seem like what I was supposed to be reading. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, I do not have the right, right verse up there. Oh, it's Acts 19, 13 through 16. Let me read it from here. It'll make more sense. <laughs> That's what happens when you get a typo. Then some, Acts 19, 13 through 16, but some of the itinerant Jews, Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. We have a bunch of men here, the seven sons of Sceva, these seven Jewish men, and they see what's happening with Paul and with, and with Jesus, and they're like, oh, I want a piece of this. And they go and they confront this demon. And you'll notice that what, he's, what they say to him, he says, he says, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. See, the problem was he wasn't their Jesus. He was somebody else's Jesus. They didn't have a personal relationship with him. They, they weren't able to respond appropriately when the, when the demon said, listen, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? You see, imitating a Christian 
isn't enough. That's, that's why you can't just be a good person. Now, I want you to be good people, but being a good person is not enough. thing is, is the devil will overpower everybody who doesn't have their identity grounded in Christ. You don't have a leg to stand on when you're being accused. And I remember when I was a young pastor, we hadn't even planted the church yet. I had just been ordained. I was still studying under my pastor, and we had moved up this way, and we were getting ready to plant the church, and I got a phone call from a lady who was having some demonic activity going on in her house. And she wanted me to come out and pray with her and see how she was doing. And I remember talking to my pastor. And I said, I said Pastor, I'm, I'm going to go out there. I said, but what if what happens to these guys happens to me? And he looked at me, and this is a, one of the most encouraging things, and, and, and I want you to know this as well. And it's not about me. It's because I was in Christ. He looked at me and he said, the devil knows who you are. I want you to know that if you're in Christ, the devil knows who you are. Because you have authority over him. You are stronger than him. If you were in Christ, you never have to worry about being one of these people. Because you're not saying, I, I adjure you by the, Je- the, uh, by the Jesus that Paul preaches. You can say, I adjure you by the Jesus that I know personally. Who's given me strength. Who's given me authority. Amen. And, and I want you to know that if you're in Christ, the devil knows who you are. And you have authority and power over him. But the thing is, you're still going to be asked the question. You see, I think that, that if, if, if these, these seven sons of Sceva, had they, had, they, had they been in Christ, the question would have still been asked, who are you? Except for they would have had a different response. And today, I want to help you with some of those responses when the devil begins to accuse you, when your heart begins to accuse you. Even if your friends and family who knew you from before begin to accuse you, I want you to have an answer. And not just because you feel like it. Because sometimes you won't feel like these things. But you still are. Not because you feel like it. Not because it seems like it's a good idea. But we're going to look at what the Word says about who you are. And I pray that when you read this, hopefully you'll take notes so that way you can find them easily. But the next time someone questions you, you're going to have an answer for it. And I pray that it's not just an intellectual understanding, but that you have a revelation of who you are in Christ this morning. So the first thing that you are is chosen. Everybody say it with me. I am chosen. chosen. If you are in Christ, you are chosen. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I want you guys to know that God chose you. It wasn't accidental. It wasn't a mistake. God chose you. You see, the Jews, did you know this? The Jews had a priesthood, but we are a priesthood. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We were chosen to be that. We no longer have to go through someone to speak to God. 
You see, previously, there were, there were mediators to get to God. God spoke through the prophets. God spoke through Moses. God, there was always a mediator in the way, but now our mediator is Jesus Christ. We can speak directly to God. I don't know if you know this, but that's why we pray in the name of Jesus. Because we come to God with the same spirit and authority that Jesus had. Because it's his spirit that lives inside of us. And now our spiritual sacrifices aren't the blood of bulls and goats, but our sacrifices, our spiritual sacrifices are of praise and worship, time and money. It's a way to honor him for what he's done for us. And because he chose us, we are now a people of God. So he says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. How many know that's, that's amazing news? And then he says, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know, the uh, simple um, definitions for grace and mercy are like this. Mercy is not getting what we did deserve. And that's, listen, previously you were getting what you, you deserved. You didn't receive mercy, but now you have received. That means we're not going to get what we deserved because Jesus took that upon himself. And then grace is the, uh, the other side of that is grace is getting something we didn't deserve, which is that new life. But he says, listen, once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. And it says that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He chose us. He called us. He came looking for us. Did you know it's been that way since the beginning? He's always been the one looking for us in the garden. After Adam and Eve fell, what did you see? Adam and Eve were hiding, but God was looking for them, calling out for them. You know, that's the amazing thing about Christianity. It's one of the big differences between Christianity and every other religion in the world because every other religion in the world is about you going to God. But Christianity is about God coming to you. He chose you. This is how you might see it said in Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 5 through 6 is, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, that which he has blessed us in the beloved. Predestination. It's this word that everyone gets hung up on. But do you guys know what to destine is? To destine something? All that means is to, to ordain or to determine. So to destine something is to ordain or determine it. To predestine something is to ordain beforehand or to predetermine. And the scripture says he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So we've already looked at that we're, we're predetermined or foredetermined, but it's according to his will. The will of God is that none should perish. This choosing, this, des this predestination, it's not some subset of people. It's not some small group of people. God's will is that none should perish, that we should all be saved. The scripture says that, that uh, uh, John 3.16 is that he, he gave his life for the whole, he loved the whole world, not just part of the world, not just some set of people, that he gave his only begotten son because of the whole. So this idea of predestination is, is, is that God has predetermined all of us to be a chosen race, a royal people. But here's the thing, predetermined does not mean required. Why? Because God gives us the opportunity to freely respond to his love, 
because he wants us to freely love. So we're all predestined to be adopted into the family. Some just choose not to. They reject that gracious offer from the Lord. Next one. I am brand new. Say it with me. I am brand new. 2 Corinthians 5.17. This is one of my favorite verses. One of the, the first verses I memorized. But therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I love how, in many ways, the scripture is so simple. And, and I have the mind of an engineer. So when I look at this stuff, I look at this. This is, this is like a flow chart. You guys ever seen a flow chart? It's the top one is, is, are you in Christ? Yes or no? If you say yes, then you're a new creation. If you say no, then you're still a son of disobedience, dead in your transgression with no hope and no future. But it's such, in Christ, yes, you're a new creation. You are brand new. And it's not like, you know, some of us think that, that when you become born again, you're like some used car with a fresh coat of paint. <laughs> like you're still who you used to be. You just look prettier or something. But that's not true. It says you are, it doesn't say you're a refurbished creation. It says you are a new creation. You are brand new. The old man is dead and gone. When you get born again, it wasn't just a decision that you made to live better. A miracle took place inside of you. You're no longer who you used to be. You are brand new. You're in no way inferior. You weren't just repaired, but you were recreated. Amen. Next one I want to look at, say it with me, I am holy. <laughs> Ephesians 1.4 says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. To be holy is to be set apart. We're also blameless. It says, listen, <clears throat> even as he chose us, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He chose us to be those things, and Christ made us those things. So when you stand before God and you're blameless, that means that nothing can be held against you. If you are in Christ, you are blameless before God. Not because you've never done anything stupid. I don't have to know you that well to know you've all done something stupid. Because that's what the Word of God says. We've all sinned and fallen short, right? So when you stand before God, you're not blameless because you've never sinned, you've never done something stupid, you've never made a mistake, or because you've, you've lived perfectly well. It's because he already paid the price. And because it wasn't because of anything you did, that means those people that say, well, I'm basically a good person. If they stand before God and they haven't received Jesus Christ, the boat that they're in is that there's no such thing as basically a good person because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. So the only way you can stand before God blameless is to receive the free gift of salvation like we just read before. You need to be a new creation. And he paid the price for us. And that's not to say that you can do anything you want either. One of the things you have to understand is that when you were born again, you were made brand new. Your life should look... Remember I said you do what you are? Your life should look different. You should begin living out of who you've been. The, 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 the way you live your life should begin reflecting what's happened in you spiritually. 
You've been made brand new, so your life should start looking that way. Now, that looks different for everybody. Some people I know, they get saved, they get born again, and it's like a light switch goes off, and everything that they did that was sinful before, it just falls out of their life, and they're just living for God with, with, with no compromise. I, on the other hand, was a slow burn. <laughs> but you know what? Every day, it got better. As long as you're moving forward, you're getting up and moving forward. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16 says, As obedient children, we need to be obedient, amen, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, right? That's who you used to be. Don't get caught up in who you used to be. Don't forget who you are now and slip back into who you were. It says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. He says, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. What was your former ignorance? You were ignorant that there was a way for you to be free. In your ignorance of Christ, in your ignorance of the freedom that is offered there, you were a slave to sin. But now we are completely free. We've been set free from our former lusts. All those things that sneak back in. Some of us, forget who we are now, and we slip back into the old person that we were. And then some of us, we get so caught up in thinking this way. How many of you at one time thought that you had to fix yourself and get through those problems? That's one of the biggest mistakes I think we can make as Christians because then it becomes a, a, a works-based thing. We think that somehow we have to, to, to make it right, so we, we get stuck in who we were instead of living in who we are. You've already been set free. You've already been forgiven. You are already victorious over these things. You don't have to fix yourself. I know for me in my life when I was a young Christian, I lived for 20 years praying that God would forgive me for sins. Every night when I would go to bed, I would ask, God, please forgive me for, for this, this, and this, and this. And I'd get up and I'd do it again the next morning. Because my, my goal was that somehow I had to, to ensure that I wasn't doing this. It was all in my own will. I had to do the work to get it figured out. And then I met my pastor, and he wrote a book called Such a Great Salvation. And as a, he changed the title of it now. But it's when I finally began to understand what salvation was. Salvation wasn't about a list of rules that I had to follow. It was about understanding that a miracle took place in me when I said yes to Jesus, and I wasn't who I used to be. So I stopped spending all my time focusing on the things that I could not couldn't do, and I started spending my time in the Word of God, learning who I was, and, and my thinking changed. That's why the Word of God says renew your mind because your thinking needs to change and the Word of God will do that. And what happened for me, and I remember the day, and if you've been here for a while, you've heard this story, but I remember the day that I finally saw it. And I used to watch this show with, a, with my uh, a good friend called Two and a Half Men. Anybody ever seen Two and a Half Men? Terrible show. <laughs> When I was when I was in my uh, I call it my BC days before Christ I thought I was hilarious you know because I, the things of the world was what what interested me and there's a lot of sexual innuendo and sexual humor and all this terrible stuff in it and and I used to TiVo it and I, I remember I got up and I, I sat down on the couch and hit play and I was like two minutes in and I went huh I don't want to watch this anymore I didn't go you know what the Bible says I shouldn't watch this. 
that the rules are that I shouldn't watch. These are the rules, and, I'm, I, and because of the rules, I'm not going to watch this. My mind had been renewed. Something, I, I, wasn't, I didn't try to fix myself. I just began living out who I was in Christ. And the only way I could live out who I was in Christ was by learning who I was in Christ. And then who I was began to influence what I did. And I woke up and went, wow, I just have no interest in this anymore. And I shut it off and I've never watched an episode of that again. Not because it was on my checklist of what Christians are allowed or not allowed to do, but because I wasn't who I used to be. Amen? So he says, we're still reading out of 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. He says, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You see, not only is he saying that our conduct should be holy because God is holy, but I also think there's an understanding there that because God is holy, you are holy. Because of what Christ did, you are holy. And because you are holy, your life should look like it. Amen? Next up, say it with me, I am redeemed. Ephesians 1, 7 through 9 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Redeemed means to, to buy or to pay off. As we mentioned earlier, every single one of us has sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us deserves to be separated from God from eternity because of our sin. But the thing is, is that there's a price to be paid. The scripture says in Romans that the wages of sin is death. There's a price to be paid for that. But we've been redeemed. The price has been paid off. It's like in a court of law, if the judge found you guilty for a crime, and then he stepped off the, off the, out of his, his uh, not throne, what do they sit on? Bench. <laughs> if, he, if he walked off of that and, and, and he took off his robe and said, you know what, I'm going to pay the bill for you. I'm going to do the time for you. That's exactly what happened. God stood before us and he said, you are guilty. And then he got off of his throne and he paid the price for us that we owed. His blood, his death was God paying the price. He says, through his blood, he gave his life for the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Just in case you ever wondered if maybe my sin was too big, my sin was too great, sure, you know, Pastor Wayne, he forgived you, but you probably weren't that bad. But there's no way he could forgive me. I want you to know the riches of his grace was enough. And he's, it, it's enough for all of us. What he accomplished in Jesus was to forgive us for all of our sins, and his riches was the only thing that could pay the price that we owed. We didn't have enough to pay it ourselves. We could never pay that price. And he says he did it according to his purpose, making known to us the mystery of his will. And we talked about it earlier. The will of God is that none should perish. Amen? And salvation wasn't only for the Jews, but it was for all of us. Next one I want to look at today, say it with me, I am able. <laughs> Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Your ability to achieve 
endure, persevere, has nothing to do with your own strength. And before we get too far in this, I, we'll make some things clear, right? What Paul is talking about is, 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 is persecution, the things that we endure as Christians, the stuff that comes against us. He's not talking about when you sit down before your new max on the weight bench going, I can do anything in Christ who strengthens me. What he's talking about is when, when the enemy comes against you, when the world comes against you. And sometimes these things seem scary. You don't know how you're going to make it through when it seems like the enemy is oppressing you, when you're being persecuted, when you're being attacked. But in him, you can do it. You can make it through it. You can do all things through him who strengthens you. 2 Corinthians 12.10 says, For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So many of you, anybody ever heard the song, Yes, Jesus Loves Me? We all sang that one, right? The scripture says, Because I am weak and he is strong. And I think it was probably based on this verse, but they got it kind of wrong. Because it doesn't say, I am weak and he is strong. It says, when I am weak, then I am strong. Because in our weakness is when we finally rely on God. Because we know we can't do it ourselves. But in him, we have the strength to overcome. That's what Paul said. I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. Because you know what? When I'm weak, that means God's there. And then I am strong. Because with him, you can do all things. With Christ who strengthens you. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean you're, never, you're no longer going to have hard times. You've heard me say it before. I'll say it a hundred times. The worst thing that we can do when we're trying to share the gospel with people is someone, if you'll just become a Christian, everything's going to be all better and you're never going to have another problem in the world. It's going to be all lollipops and gumdrops from here on out. It's one of the greatest disservices we can do to new Christians. Because the truth is, when you get born again, oftentimes you're going to face stuff that you never would have faced before. Because before you weren't opposing the enemy, now you are. And he doesn't want you to be saved, so he's going to come after you. And the reality is, is you're going to face things that are hard. You're going to deal with difficulties. God will see, the difference is God will see you through them. You're going to have the strength to get through them. But it's not that you're going to face them. Amen? It means it'll never leave you nor forsake you. It means that you'll never have to face them alone. But it doesn't mean you're not going to have to face them. Next one I'll look at is say it with me. I am more than a conqueror. I don't know if you guys, you guys don't sound convinced. <laughs> I guess pastor's making me repeat stuff. Listen, I want you guys to understand these things are true. And uh, Romans 8.37 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 35 describes all these things. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? These are all the things, all those things that I just listed out. You are more than a conqueror in all of those situations. I like how the, uh, the NASB translates this verse because here it says we're more than conquerors. But in Romans 8.37 in the NASB it says, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loves us. 
to whelm something means to submerge or to engulf it. To, to, it it's to overcome utterly. So like if you were to whelm uh, a piece of cloth in a vat of dye, that means that you put it all the way in the dye. That means that that, that, that piece of cloth is completely submerged. It's completely surrounded. It's completely inside of it. That's to whelm. To overwhelm means to do that but even more. It means to utterly engage in it. To, it, it almost means to overdo it. And that's us. We are over more than overwhelmingly conquerors. We don't just conquer by the skin of our teeth. It's not a close game. You're the winner by a long shot, by a heavy margin. Not because of who you are, but because of who Christ is, amen? You are more than a conqueror. And we should do it with so much conviction and fanfare that there's, we don't even entertain that it could ever come out any other way. When I talk, intellectually we can understand that, but you need to get this in your spirit, have a revelation of it. And when you do, you'll finally have victory over things that you never thought you could. Because here's the thing, how many know the enemy is completely defeated? And we have authority over him. You know, you watch movies on TV and it's always about this last battle, darkness fighting the light. You know, you would think with all what everybody else thinks that there's, there's some sort of battle going on. And that darkness somehow has a chance to win. The battle's already been fought. It's done and over with. The enemy has lost. The only reason we're still going through this rigmarole is because God's giving people the opportunity to say yes. He wants none to perish. That's what the scripture says, right? He is not, he is not slow as some count slowness, but he is patient because he wants none to perish. The enemy is defeated. You are already a conqueror in him. Here's the next one, and we're going to say this from conviction. I am qualified. I am qualified. Colossians 1, 9 through 12 says, And so from the day we heard, we have, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of the light. So we go back to the beginning. Asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What did we talk about his will was earlier? It's the will of God that none should perish. We need to understand that. The will of God that we should be whole and healthy. God wants the best for you. It's the will of God that you preach the gospel. Some of you forgot about that. You need to remember that's the will of God that you do that as well. All these things, when we look to the scripture, we see what the will of God is. And then so, so he says, we pray that you'd be filled with this knowledge and his will. And, and really, if you want to know what the will of God, just look at what Jesus did. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. So what Jesus did, we know because the will of God, right? He healed the sick. He prayed for people. He, uh, so, so we know the will of God. And, and, and then it says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So we've been strengthened 
by knowing this stuff so that we can walk in a way that's worthy of the Lord, um, fully pleasing to Him. How many of you guys want to be fully pleasing to God? Amen. Amen. Walk in obedience. Walk in faith. He says that, that uh, uh, to bear fruit in every good work and to increase in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Aren't you glad that your strength is according to his might and not your own? Hallelujah. And then he goes on to say, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance. I am so glad that qualification to share in the inheritance of God isn't based on me, how I lived my life. But I think that's what we need to remember when the devil says, you're not qualified. Look at those things that you did. I remember what you did last week, two years ago, maybe yesterday. I remember all those things. You can't be qualified. And you can say, you know what? I am qualified because it has nothing to do with what I did. It's thanks to the Father who has qualified me. So you can confidently say, no matter what was in your past, that you were qualified. If you've repented and you've said yes to Jesus, you are brand new, born again, you are qualified. Amen. Next up, I'll say it with me, I am victorious. First Corinthians 15, 56 through 57 says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory over what? Sin. He's talking about sin and death, right? And so he's dealing with sin and death, and we have victory over those things. This is one of those I would encourage you to write down if you're ever dealing with sin. That old man keeps trying to rear his ugly head and you're trying to be tempted. Just remember that you're victorious. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. What if you fail and you fall? Get back up because you're still victorious. Your victory has nothing to do with what you did. It has to do with what he did. So even if you fall and you stumble, you get back up and you remain victorious. The only way that you're not victorious is if you don't get back up and you remain in your sin. This is one I think that everybody needs to get. Say it with me. I am loved. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God loves you. One of the best things you can do is get up in the morning and just repeat that to yourself. God loves me. God loves me. And he loves every single one of you in this room. And did you know that you're a saint as well? You know, when we talk about all this stuff, we're talking about identity. To be a saint and a sinner is about identity. You know, we get this idea in our head from the, the, particularly the Catholic Church. They have all their saints, and they have a lot of rules and regulations on how you can become a saint and, and, and these things. So we have this idea that saints are these, like, super Christians. But that's not how the, the, the Scriptures des describe saints. I mean, here it says, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called saints. He's talking to all the Christians in Rome. Did Rome just have some like group of super super Christians? 
No, they were just like you and me. To be a saint is just, is just another word for Christian. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are a saint. It's an identity. It's not about the things that you've done. You don't have to do so many miracles while you're alive and so many after you're dead in order to be qualified to be a saint. You just have to say yes to Jesus. Same with being a sinner. Did you know that, that you're not a sinner because you sin? People sin because they're sinners. It's an identity. It's the identity that we're born into. We're born as sinners into that identity, and then we, we were a slave to sin because of what, what happened to Adam. Every single one of us are born a slave to sin. We're born broken, and we sinned because we were sinners. But then when we were born again, you are no longer a sinner. You're a saint. But you say, but Pastor Wayne, sometimes I sin. Well, then you haven't been listening. You're not a sinner because you sin. People sin because they're sinners. So if you are a saint and you sin, that doesn't somehow make you a sinner. If you're in Christ, you're still a saint. Amen? That's who you are because of what he did. Now don't get me wrong. Because of what he did, it should influence how you live. Sin for the Christian should be rare, if at all. Now the good news is, is if we, we do fall, we do, we do sin, we still have an advocate in Jesus Christ. You're, no, you're not unsaved because you sin. Just get back up. Right? Because what did we say earlier? You're victorious over that sin that's messing with your life. Get back up and know that you're loved. Know that you're a saint. Amen? And then we'll finish here today on John 1, 12-13. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Say it with me. I am a child of God. He says, all who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Do you guys know that not everyone is a child of God? You know, you'll see stuff... There's actually a big wall if you go down. I think it's on, it's on Speedway, that big wall that says we're all children of God. I think it's on, on Speedway and Stone. There's this, oh no, there's one. Anyway, there, there might be a couple in town, but there's big murals on the wall that say that we're all children of God. And the fact is that that's just not true. Now, it may be true in the sense that God is creator, but it's not true in the sense that we're all members of the family. Only Christians receive that right to receive the inheritance. It says, listen, all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you don't receive him, you don't believe in your name, then you are not a child of God. And then it says that we're a child of God as the result of his will. Right? Not the will, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. It was God's will that he sent his son to save us. It was God's will that he got off of his throne, became a man, and died for us. That means that he did it because he, because he wanted to. He loves us. It was, it was his idea, his will. You are all children of God because of the will of God. And as a child, you are an heir to all that the Father has. Amen. You know, that's good news. We're heirs to the Father.
So as we wrap up today, we went through a lot of the ways that we can respond if the enemy or our heart condemns us and says, who are you? I am chosen. I am brand new. I am holy. I am redeemed. I am able. I am more than a conqueror. I am qualified. I am victorious. I am loved. I am a child of God. Did you know that there's more? We could keep going. This is why you need to read the scripture yourself. This is why I recommend to new believers that you start in John and you read through Jude ten times before you read anything else in, in the Bible. Don't bother with the Old Testament. Don't bother with Revelation. You can skip the first three Gospels because really the Gospels are, are very similar to one another. You're getting the same stuff. So you read through John all the way through Jude. And when you're done, you do that nine more times. Ten times before you're reading that because I want you to know who you are in Christ. And that's where you learn it. Not to mention that it'll help you have an understanding and a, a qualification for what you're reading in the Old Testament and the other things. But if you begin to read that, you're going to find other things. Here's just a few more. You're going to find out that you're alive in Him. You're going to find that you're born of an imperishable seed. You're going to find that you're free and that you're righteous. Church, the next time someone asks you who you are, I want you to say, how much time do you have? And just begin to repeat what the Word says about you. Amen. What God says about you.